At the end of last week's parsha, which you got to read because we were in the third shlish, you realize that Noah ends with Torah saying, Terach took his son Avram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and the wife, the wife of his son Avram, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans for the land of Canaan. Of course, Avram gets the message this parasha to go to the land of Canaan, but his dad apparently was on his way. And when they had come as far as Haran, they settled there. Days of Terach came to 205 years. Terach had died in Haran. So we have a problem, which is Terach seems to be alive um, after this. It's not so much of a problem if you realize that the statement that Terach died at 205, it hasn't happened yet. And so the rabbis count up the years of when Avram was born and when Avram has kids. And we realize that this must be in the future. And for some reason, they finished the genealogy with uh, Terach dying. So the rabbis have to understand like why that's there. But the real issue that's created, and I know I've discussed it before, because it's a commandment that almost all of us have to relate to at some point in our lives, just despite, because we're all in a mishpachat adama, we all, in a sense, come from families, which is that how do you honor mother and father? How do you keep the fifth commandment? And in particular, the problem here, which is lech lecha says, go away from the house of your father and leave the land of your birth. And we don't honor parents necessarily by leaving their house. And so that this statement that Tarak was already dead must mean something. It becomes really a cornerstone of tomes and tomes of Midrash that Terach, as Rashi says, was spiritually dead because he was evil. And therefore, this frees Avram of his obligations to his father. Because the only way your obligations to honor a parent can be abrogated is if they are evil or if they ask you to sin. That's what produces the Midrash of the idols and his father being an idol seller and all of this and all of the Midrash. But there's also more. It all goes into Hasidut. It's Midrash that goes on for thousands of years. So Rashi says, and I quote, the answer to this issue of Tarach dying already or not is stated in order that this matter of leaving his home during his father's lifetime might not become publicized to all. So it's meant to fool people who are reading it. They think Terach really died. Lest people say that Avram did not show a son's respect to his father and mother as he left his father in his old age and went on his way. And that's why scripture speaks of Terach as dead. Moreover, and as we understand it, for the wicked, even when alive, are called dead. And so Terach must have been wicked. Interestingly, there are easier ways out of the conundrum of Avram's filial piety, um, perhaps showing that Tarach is actually well cared for by Avram in advanced age, which is totally possible. But the tradition seizes on the final aspect of the Rashi. Virtually every branch of the Midrashic tradition, rabbinically and later, seizes on the idea that Tarach must have been deeply wicked and therefore spiritually and morally dead, and thus removed from the categorical imperative of being honored as a father. He's an idol seller and so on. And so the Midrashic tradition for millennia poses the human question of how righteous people can come from evil parents and thus raises the question of what children of deeply problematic parents owe to their parents in honoring them through the years as we get older. So what is the conundrum that the rabbis are really facing here about honoring parents? It is, as the Talmud Bavli and the Yerushalmi both raise, is that if the universe is founded on justice, and we just say it every Friday night, break through the clouds, the throne of justice is on the other side, 
which means that in modern parlance, we truly believe in karma. Every single action you do has an effect both on the his, your soul and its future in the world to come and on the world itself. And ultimately, all will be balanced, even if you don't see it in your lifetime. Then how can one obey a commandment that could be potentially limitless? And as we go through our lives as adults, how it is that maybe our lives could be filled with caring for or, or honoring a parent. And there are all kinds of parents. And children do not necess- are not necessarily like the parents that they come from. So how do you deal with a commandment that could be potentially limitless in its demands when all has um, an effect? So I'm going to share a couple of agadot from the Talmud, a couple of stories. Now, just remember about a story in the Talmud that halakha, the, the laws, are talking about walking a way of holiness, and they lead you on the right path. But the path often can stray, and on that walk on the path, we can encounter God. And in the stories, the stories often are subversive or challenge what it's like to try to keep halakha in the real world because halakha can affect individuals in very, very different ways as they try to live out those stories. So I'm going to start with the Yerushalmi Kedushin um, 1.6 and the story of Rabbi Tarfon keeping the commandment. Rabbi Tarfon's mother went out for a stroll in her courtyard one Shabbat, and her shoes split apart. Rather than have her walk barefoot in the dirty courtyard, Rabbi Tarfon placed his two hands under the soles of her feet, and she walked upon his hands until she reached her, her couch. Once he fell ill, and the sages went to visit him. She said to them when she saw the other rabbis, praise for my son Tarfon, for he treats me with such great and even excessive honor. They said, excessive honor? Tell us what he has done for you. She told them of the deed. And they said, eh, even if he had done that a thousand, thousand times, he would not have attained even half of what that honoring the parent requires from the commandment of Torah. Seems to be raising a question, what is the limit? And how do we think of what we do? Second story, Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Ishmael's mother came and complained to the sages about him. She said, you need to rebuke my son Ishmael, for he does not treat me with honor. At that moment, the faces of the sages turned absolutely pale. It's very, very serious. They thought, is it really possible that Rabbi Ishmael is not actually properly observing the commandment of honoring parents? And so they said to her, what did he do to you? And she said, well, when he leaves the assembly house, when he obeyed Knesset, I wish to wash his feet and then to drink the water, but he doesn't let me. Not all of us have had mothers who love and dote on their sons. Some Jewish mothers have been known to do that. And he sets a limit. And she says he shouldn't set a limit on her involvement with his honor. And so they said, well, if that's what she wants, then he should honor her in that way. It doesn't say they said it to him. That's what they said to her. Now, I said earlier that one of the things we all share, we have very different lives, many of us is that we all have parents. But then the Talmud brings up orphans. How about people who did not have parents growing up? And it raises, I'm almost embarrassed to read the story because it can have an off note, 
But what it talks about is that sometimes it's Rabbi Ami in some texts and sometimes Rabbi Zeera. And they said that I've always wanted to have a father and mother having been born an orphan because I feel that I am not able to keep the fifth commandment. And therefore I worry that I will inherit a place in the world to come because he can't earn that karma and that reward. But when he heard the story of Rabbi Tarfon and then the story of Rabbi Ishmael, he said, maybe it's okay that I am as I am. A little too comical, but an expression of the voice of the Talmud is saying that uh, we live very different lives in this regard. And it's hard to know what another's experience is and whether we envy it or not. It's actually a continuation of the Rabbi Tarfon story in the Bavli. So I'm going to move from the Yerushalmi into the Bavli. It expands. The Yerushalmi seems to be the original one. Remember, it happened one Shabbat. In the Bavli, it's happening all the time. Rabbi Tarfon's mother wished to ascend to her divan. Anytime she wished to go to her divan, Rabbi Tarfon would bend down and lift her up. And whenever she wished to step down, he would step down. She would ha- he would have her step upon him. For those who carry parents up and down from bed, maybe this is poignant. He came and praised himself in the academy and told everybody. The sages said to him, you have not even reached half the honor of what it means to fulfill the commandment. He asked, what would that mean? Can you show me? And they said, did she ever take a big bag of money and just throw it right into the ocean before your eyes? And yet you did not say a thing. That would be honoring her. I really relate to this one because true story in my regrets about the way I've treated my mother in my life. One of them was I came home from college and, uh, and I was like, whatever, 20, whatever I was 21, 22 at that time. And uh, I hadn't seen my mother for a while. And she was going out to the local furniture store, family owned furniture store, Hess's. She wanted to buy a couch, wanted to buy a divan. I was a teenager. And she said to me, you know, I really like the full priced one but I could really save money buying the one on sale. What do you think, Nadav? And I said, well, it seems to me that you could save the most money by buying neither and continuing use of the couch that you already have. And she was deeply offended. She told me, you really have no idea how to honor your mother. Of course, I thought she was wrong. And now I realized that she was right. You know, even if a parent takes a money bag full of money and throws it into the ocean, Do not reproach them. Straight out of Rabbi Tarfon. More difficult mothers, and please don't, I I didn't write the stuff. And if the rabbis are misogynists, we'll read an article about it, and it's probably true. But they all had mothers. Rabbi Asi had an elderly mother. And she said to him, I want jewelry. So he went out and bought her jewelry. So then she said, I want a new husband. And she had been widowed. And so he said, I will search for you, and I will get you one. He found candidates, but then she said to him, I don't want any of them. I want a husband who is as handsome and just like you. So he departed and moved to the land of Israel. He he got news that she was following him to the land of Israel. So he came before Rabbi Yochanan, his friend, and he said to him, I know that we are required to ascend to the land of Israel to move there. And it is not normally permitted then to leave and move back to diaspora. But may I have permission to do so? Because I hear my mother is on her way. (laughs) This friend Rabbi Yochanan said, it is forbidden. So then he said to him, 
Is it permitted to leave Israel, perhaps to come upon my mother on the road and greet her? They waited a little. Rabbi Yochanan said, it seems to me that you have already resolved to leave. So all I can say is, may God bring you back in peace. Rabbi Asi was concerned that he was being cursed by his friend. And he asked Rabbi Eliezer, did he just curse me? And he told him what he said. And Rabbi Eliezer said, no. When he said, may God bring you back in peace, because there would have been danger. If he had been angry with you, he would not have blessed you. He was trying to be a friend, but he also didn't want to get involved. Eventually, Rabbi Asi heard that his mother died and it was her coffin that was on its way. An interesting story about could the potentially limitless demand of honoring a parent cause you actually to want to distance yourself from that parent? One more famous one. As you know, a red heifer is not born every day. So there was a red heifer, apparently, this part's probably historical, it's recorded in the uh, Tosefta, that there was a Gentile who's the head of the local city council, and he actually had a heifer give birth to a, a, a red heifer, and they had to pay a lot of money for it to, to get it for uh, the Sanhedrin. And so the story seems to have come from that historical fact, but it certainly seems to be um, expanded. The, the rabbis came to Rabbi Eliezer and said, what is the limit of the commandment of honoring parents? And he said to them, you should go ask Dama Barnatina. Dama Barnatina was the head of the city council. He was not Jewish. Once his mother slapped him in front of the entire council and the slipper fell out of her hand after hitting his face and fell to the floor. And he picked it up and gave it back to her so that she would not become irritated. Rabbi Hiskia said, so Dama Barnatina was a Gentile from Ashkelon. And he, yes, he was the head of the city council. And his whole life, he never, sat upon a he never sat on a stone, which is the stone that his father used to sit on. Part of what we know from halakha is that the way you honor your parents is that if your father or your mother have a seat in the house, you never sit in that seat, right? I learned that from all in the family. Never sit in Archie or Edith's chair, right? Meathead learned the hard way. And when he died, Dama Barnatina made an idol out of the stone, and that's considered to be admirable. Once the jasper stone of the 12 stones in the plate, the priestly breastplate was lost and they needed to buy a new one. And they heard that Dama Barnatina had one. So they went to Bar uh, Dama Barnatina. They settled with a price of 100 dinars. When he went up to get it, he found his father was sleeping on top of the key to the safe or others say on top of the jewel itself. And some the key was on the ring to the finger. And some say his father's leg was lying on top of the safe. In any case, he came down to them and he said, I can't bring it to you. The sages thought he was bargaining. And so they said, okay, it's got to be 200 dinars. It's got to be 300 dinars. And they raised the price to 1,000. When his father awoke from his sleep, he went up and brought it to them. They wanted to give him the 1,000, but he would not accept it. He said, do you think I put a price on my father's honor? I will not benefit from the honor of my forefathers at all. How did the Holy One, blessed be he, reward him? Rabbi Yossi said, that night his cow gave birth to a red heifer. And when we bought it from him, we, of course, weighed out its weight in gold, for that's what it was worth. And the rabbis explain, for a non-Jew, God rewards them as soon as possible. Whereas for Jews, we may have to wait for our reward to a greatly future time. Where is our place on the hidden scales? Shabbat Shalom.